Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Your bank should be solving your problems, not creating them. Platinum Bank partners with Twin Cities executives to help them grow their business. Learn more online at PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. Yesterday I was having a meeting with my product development team, actually. And we were like going back and forth with the launch calendar, you know, I'm like, oh, let's do the tube of this product like this, no, let's do the other. And I keep like changing my mind. And then I told them, I apologize, I switched my mind so many times. <laughs> but I give myself a break because at the end of the day, I'm a vet. <laughs> <laughs> From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now... By all means. Always be open to the possibilities. It's the entrepreneurial mantra, right? Well, it's easier said than done. I can't imagine a better example of an unexpected career twist than Dr. Simone Xavier. A veterinarian with a PhD in molecular biology, she was running a lab at the University of Minnesota. She and her husband, Renee, are both from Brazil, and their family members would ask them to send hard-to-get items back home, items like makeup brushes. Renee, an engineer, started tinkering, and Simone, an academic, studied the market. In 2009, the couple launched Sigma Beauty as a makeup brush company, thinking it would be a little hobby and it would solve a problem for their friends and family back in Brazil. But Simone sent a few brushes to the beauty YouTubers she'd been watching, and before long, Sigma became a viral sensation. Today, the global beauty brand sells makeup, brushes, and cleaning products. You'll see Dr. Xavier's name on the Latina Top 100 Power List, and she's become a sought-after speaker on entrepreneurship and the beauty industry. What many people don't realize is that Sigma Beauty is based, of all places, in Mendota Heights, Minnesota, where Simone and her husband first moved so she could work on her PhD. In Brazil, I did my veterinary medicine uh, degree. Then I followed with a master's degree. So I was following an academic career. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that it goes in Brazil, you go the, um, you do the DVM, then you do the master's, and then you do the PhD. So it was time for me to do a PhD. And uh, the bacteria that I was working with was a bacteria that was infecting pigs. And I was studying the pathology of it and diagnostics of it um, and control. And uh, the most renowned researcher in the world studying that specific bacteria was at the University of Minnesota, (laughs) at the Swine Center. And I applied for a PhD with him. I sent my master's thesis for him to evaluate. And then I got a scholarship to come study with him. Wow. So What got you interested in bacteria and swine? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, my father is a veterinarian as well, and he was a professor at um, a university in Brazil that I studied at for 30 years. So his entire career was academic, but his, he was a large animal surgeon. And, um, you know, I was following on his steps, and uh, when he did the, surger- the surgeries and I was a student on his class, I could not do that. You know, that was a lot for me. I said, oh, I will have to do something else. And I got interested in pathology 
you know, you diagnose a lot of diseases or post-mortem, you know, why animals died and, and try to figure out or isolate bacteria to see if you can help on control of hmm. disease. So I started on pathology, and that's where my master's is on, but I was studying an infectious diseases, an infectious um, bacteria in pigs. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how it happened. You and know. you, so you got your degree at the University of Minnesota, and then you started teaching. Yes. And you were working in the laboratory as well? Yep. So um, I finished my degree, and uh, during my PhD, uh, what I was doing extrapolated from just pathology to infectious diseases to molecular epidemiology, where I would track different strains mm-hmm. of bacteria and where they were coming from, how they were moving within herds, you know. It has a lot to do with what we saw with COVID, Mm, you know. Isn't that crazy? Yes, defining strains and going to the DNA and and seeing, um, you know, how how they're moving, how they're changing. And then I moved into developing vaccines Hmm. to control those strains. For animals. Yes. Okay. And diagnostics. So I used to do a lot of PCRs. I, I feel good talking about PCR today because everybody knows what I'm talking about. I was going to say, we never knew that until 2020, yes. a PCR test. Now we all know. That's what I used to develop. So I developed several PCR tests wow. to diagnose and characterize mm-hmm. bacteria strains. And after I finished that, since my work ended up being a lot into control of infectious diseases and vaccine development, I was hired by a laboratory in Worthington, Minnesota, mm-hmm. Newport Labs. And I stayed there. Uh, we developed um, a vaccine with Newport. I got a patent for that specific vaccine with the laboratory. Then from there, I went into another vaccine laboratory in Spain. So mm-hmm. I spent a year in Spain continuing on research and development of vaccines. And from there was when I returned to Minnesota as a professor with the Diagnostic Veterinary Lab. So meanwhile, your husband, Renee, Mm -hmm. he was an engineer. Yeah. And he was maybe the kind of a little more entrepreneurial than Mm -hmm. than you were. Would would you say he was looking for a project or it just sort of happened? You know, Rene, he had his own business in Brazil before we came here for many years. He was a very, very young entrepreneur. He started with 20-something years old and at that time, he already had, I think, 400 employees. Mm. He had a chain of um, a pizza restaurant chain, oh, you know, wow. with franchise. He was featured in several publications in Brazil as a very young entrepreneur that was successful. And then when we moved here, he was no longer on that line of business, and he started working with a, um, an American um, entrepreneur here that he would work a lot with real estate, but also uh, import-export of painting tools. Mm. And, um, and then he just moved into that business, but, and, and then we stayed there for 10 years, you know. So painting. He had brushes on the mind. Yes. And then you had family and friends in Brazil yeah. who mm-hmm. would say, hey, when you come to visit, yes. could you bring me some makeup brushes? Yes, of all things, yes. why makeup brushes? So Sigma started like around 14 years ago, right? And uh, 14 years ago in Brazil, you wouldn't have a Sephora store available or, you know, anything that was available here in the U.S. was not readily available in Brazil at all. 
And uh, the import taxes for Brazil are outrageous. You know, it's like 60% on top of the price of the product. Then you still have state taxes on top of it. So the, the, the price of makeup and makeup brushes and tools was just crazy in hmm. Brazil. That's why they would request it. Now, they wouldn't just request brushes. They would request makeup or tennis shoes or jeans or <laughs> All T-shirts. All kinds of things. So you were kind of running your own Walmart back to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> to friends and family, you know, they were always, oh, bring me this tennis shoe or bring me this, uh, uh-huh. you know, makeup or something. And we would go back for Christmas with, you know, one luggage for everybody else and a small one for me. Yeah. Know? So you decided, being the sort of entrepreneurial-minded people you are, to, to set up a, a website really just for yes. family and friends. So, you know, going from the line that you were asking, why makeup brushes? So you see, everything was being requested. So we, we saw this demand in Brazil for every a lot of products, right? But as we mentioned before, brushes was something that was really quick for Rene to realize we could do. And uh, because of the difference in price and the opportunity that we had to do them much cheaper, that's why we focused on makeup brushes. So you were seeing in the market at that time, as you were buying brushes and bringing them to friends and family, you're seeing mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of range or they were expensive or what, what was the ex- missing link? extremely expensive, mm-hmm. you know. So when we decided to move forward with brushes, what I did as a veterinarian, I'm not a makeup artist, <laughs> right? But I am a researcher. So I went online and I started watching YouTube videos and learning from the makeup artists which brushes were the holy grails, they used to call it, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So so from doing my research online, I came up with 12 brushes that were the holy grails for specific functions so you could complete your makeup. And, and set the scene for us. I mean, was makeup something you were very interested in? Not at all. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were a typical professor. Not, you were just... You, exactly. You're, <laughs> okay. you're a very typical professor. I don't even think I put a lipstick to go to work. You know? <laughs> okay. But you know how to research it. And at that time, this is a, a time before influencers. There was oh, yeah. no TikTok. There was Nothing. no Instagram. It was YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And so you're seeing, you, you figured out what was needed. Yeah. As I start to watch these videos and um, take notes, you know, defining which brushes we should go after and try to develop, I would come across these influencers that as they're doing their tutorials and explaining and using things, I would just stop what I was doing, go to the mall and buy it, you know. So I would, was being very influenced <laughs> yeah. by they were compelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that was a time where everything was so organic and passionate mm-hmm. and, you know, just so real. And it was for fun. You know, people were doing these videos on their closets and just having fun with makeup. Yeah. And uh, I was not aware and I didn't know how that happened at that time at all. If companies were paying people to talk or not, I, I, I had sure. no idea. That wasn't your world. I didn't even know companies would send products to <laughs> influencers. So how did you, so, okay, so so you you figure out the, the market need. Meanwhile, yeah. your husband, Renee, starts playing around and figuring out, hey, I, mm-hmm. I think I know how to develop a, a better brush. Mm-hmm. He does that, yep. and then you said, hey, I'm going to send it to some of my new yes. friends on YouTube? Yes. <laughs> so this girl, Tiffany, that I would watch her video and um, she was she was so great doing her makeup and I would love everything. I lo- love her style and the colors she would. So I would go and I would buy, you know, whatever she was using. Um, I trusted her skills a lot. So I sent her an email and I asked, uh, look, I'm a veterinarian. I, Me and my husband, we made these brushes and I need some feedback, you know, um, 
can you please give me some feedback and let me know what you think, you know, can I improve them at all? Mm-hmm. And I sent them to her. At this point, we had 300 sets on my basement, mm-hmm. brush sets. Wow. And a little website. And um, instead of answering my email, she goes online and she does a review about the brushes. But she was so, like, enthusiastic about yeah. these brushes and saying, my God, they're so soft. They're great. They're, like, very comparable to Mac. They're so much cheaper, you know, they're excellent. And she would go on and on and she would say, my husband came here and picked them up and he was like, he wasn't believing how uh-huh. soft they were. And uh, with that, and then she says, oh, you know, this is the website. Uh, Renee and I went f- to have dinner, you mm-hmm. know, upstairs in the kitchen, come back and we were sold out of the 300 sets. And at that point, did you say... I'm going to stop this teaching thing oh, and, no. and <laughs> go into business? What happened next? Well, we opened a waiting list and 2,000 people uh, signed up for the waiting list. Mm. So when that happened, I mean, Rene immediately knew what we had at hand, you know, and he's like, yep, we're going to continue this and we're going to grow it. And I was like, I have invested like <laughs> 12 years into my academic career. Yeah. I'm not about to drop everything just right now. You know, I can continue to do this for fun. I didn't have Lucas yet, my mm-hmm. son. Mm-hmm. So I had time. How much time does a viral hit actually demand? We'll find out right after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Is your bank a partner or simply a provider? In today's environment, businesses need a bank that can move quickly and act creatively. Platinum Bank understands the Twin Cities market, partnering with clients to overcome challenges and capitalize on opportunities. Their financial products and services are tailored to meet the unique needs of your organization. To learn how Platinum Bank can be an asset to your business, visit www.platinumbankmn.com. Platinum Bank providing a means to a dream. It quickly became clear that Sigma Beauty was no little side hobby. Here's how Dr. Xavier went from academic researcher to full-time CEO of a global beauty brand. Um, I would come from the university like 6 p.m. and I would stay, you know, playing with marketing and product development until 11. Did you the know? folks at the university and in particular in the veterinary <laughs> department and the infectious diseases, did they know that you also had a makeup business side hustle? No, not at all, because <laughs> I used to do it really at night, yeah. you know, sometimes overnight. But I could keep up with both very well. Uh-huh. Um, I loved my job at the university. I still do. I would come back if I could. <laughs> really? Oh, yes. I really, really liked it. But this felt like you got to do it once you I, saw the at demand. At some point, yeah. I think two years into it, um, I couldn't do both anymore. You know, mm. At that point, we already had a lot of employees. We had a big headquarters and uh, the business was demanding a lot. And I had to concentrate on overseeing, as I do up to today, all the marketing design and product development. Um, and, and then I had to leave. So you got into this at a time when influencer marketing was really taking off. And it was, as you mentioned, more pure than it mm, is today. Yeah. People didn't realize what would happen. They didn't realize they could get rich doing this. And they were mm-hmm. really coming from a place of being excited. Yes. That worked well to grow your brand really mm-hmm. organically. Yes. Um, Did you 
right away see what you had here, that this could be a, a brush empire? And the, I mean, did you know how to set up this no, sort of business? Not at all. I mean, I think that setting up a business, I have to give it to Rene because he really had that experience. And for him, it was just a walk in the park. You know, mm-hmm. For me, I was basically having fun. <laughs> That's the, the truth. And I think that the best business, they, they come from you doing what you like or what you feel like doing or mm-hmm. something you're excited about, you know, with no agenda whatsoever. You know, I was just experimenting with product development as I went along and doing whatever I felt like doing. I was lucky that I was a veterinarian and not a makeup artist because I could do so many things outside the box, you because know? mm. I had no constraints or this is not how you do this. This is not the brush you do, you know, use for this. Yeah. I didn't know anything, so I just did whatever I wanted. Right. Know? So what do you think that enabled you to do? How how do you look at brushes differently than oh, like MAC Cosmetics, which was the gold standard at the time? I um, approach any product development that I, that I do up to this date through function, you know. So since my research at the university was very applied, applied research and always solution driven, you know, if I'm developing a vaccine, I want the animals to stop dying, you know. Yes, if I'm treating an animal, I want it to get better. Um, so it's applied research. I, I, I develop something, I want to see it work. Mm-hmm. And that went through my entire product development. So I picked up the brushes that were available at the market and I started using them. And I'm like, they don't work. You know? Really? Yeah. So I start playing with Play-Doh and molding, you know, brush heads, putting them ac- across my face and seeing how they fit my crevices and my face, you know, and start develop all kinds of different shapes that I felt would work better. Hmm. Density of fibers, different fibers, you know, size of handles, the weight of the brush. Everything was open for me to change, you know, Yeah. because yeah. I... If I were to make a parts, probably I would be like, it's, this is the best. I cannot touch it. That's, you know, established. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't. So I could do whatever. <laughs> I love that. And so you would play around and figure out this is a shape that would work. This is a material. Yeah. And then Renee would figure out how do you actually execute that yes. from a manufacturing yep. standpoint. So he would have the, the contact with the supplier. And he would. Renee has been to China probably over 30 times at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the pandemic, he would always go twice a year, you know. So we, and we've been working with the exact same factories for, since day one. Hmm. So we developed a, a very trustworthy relationship with our suppliers. Uh, they've learned a lot with us too, because Renee would go and, and um, teach the way we would like to do business or mm-hmm. the, the way that we would like things structured, you know or the quality that we're looking for. And a lot of times uh, that was a stretch or was out of the ordinary for the factories to do. You know, a lot of products we wanted to do, they would think was so weird, they didn't you know, even want to start doing it. And it was interesting, but they learned to trust us and uh, whatever project we would come up with, they would follow up and we would oversee it very, very closely. Hmm. Did you two bootstrap this yourselves? Because when you're talking about research and development and manufacturing, that that takes money. Yeah, we did. did. You you did. We still do. Wow. (laughs) You've never had investors to this day. You two own this company 100%. Mm -hmm. It runs on itself. Was it a little nerve wracking in the early days, though? Because it is when you're talking about product development, that's an investment. 
It is, but you know, and that's why it took us uh, 14 years to be here, right? Um, and up to this date, we don't give, uh, as we say in Brazil, a staff that's longer than our own legs. Ah. You know? So um, we grow on the pace that we can support our our own growth. Hmm. We were not in a hurry, you know. Um, we took our sweet time to do things. <laughs> and we continue to do that up to this date, you know. I see companies, like, exploding and then falling down, yeah. you know, because they take too much investment or take too much money from outside. Then yeah. they have this debt. I don't yeah. want to be there. Right. So I academic, professor, super safe, you know. <laughs> so I do not risk anything. The beauty industry as an outsider and just from the, you know, from all the interviews I've done through the years, it, it feels like, you know, it is controlled by a few really big, really influential companies. Mm-hmm. I think that's changed to some degree. But I mean, you see the independent brands get gobbled up by the Estee Lauders of yes. the world. Um, how were you able to even break in to, to get into Nordstrom and places like that pretty yes. early on? Did you hire sales staff or did you and Renee do that yourself? Not really. A lot of the bigger retailers that we, um, that require, requested Sigma around that time, 2013, 14, they came to us, um, because we were so talked about in the internet, you know, hmm. organically. And I can imagine that a lot of people would go to these websites and search Sigma brushes. Okay. So uh, they would see these searches on the website and then they would come to us and ask to be a, a retailer. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. the dream <laughs> that know. the brands are begging you. Yes. The power of influence. So mm-hmm. how have you seen that influencer game change? Yes. So um, there are some interesting changes. I mean, so many interesting changes in the yeah. beauty industry. I can, I can go on and on. But um, I think that with all the platforms that have come uh, to be throughout these 14 years, uh, a lot has changed. On all of them, I see a path that's kind of always the same. And we're seeing the same thing that I saw with YouTube, we see with TikTok today, you know. So um, 14 years ago, it was YouTube, then came Twitter, then came Instagram, then came Snapchat. And uh, now we have um, TikTok. TikTok. Is that the most important today? Yes. Yeah. Do you like TikTok? Um, I mean, I <laughs> during the pandemic, it was gives me a little addicting, you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, today I visit to see what the business is doing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I prefer to spend my time elsewhere, like doing hobbies, you know? <laughs> but um, so the same way that we saw on YouTube that influencer was just like sharing their, their passion, you know, being so genuine and free. They were just sharing their free opinion on everything. Then... A lot of companies take notice of it, you know, like for us, uh, we, we didn't pay nothing at that time when we started, but we saw the effect that influencers had on the business. It was important, you know. Mm-hmm. So from that, as all the companies are, are noticing the, the influence and, and the value of that opinion, then the, the paid spo- sponsorships, they sc- start mm-hmm. to, to come up. And I, I mean, I, I think it's only fair because the influencer has that power. What they're saying has value. They should be paid for it and should be a paid partnership. I mm-hmm. think that's a business. It's their right. business, you know. Right. And that still today is more effective 
than just putting an ad in a magazine. So, oh yes, yes. Because magazines are really, they, they're going from print to online to email lists now. It's, um, they're changing a lot as well. Like, um, so surprised that Allure, for example, is not, no longer a printed magazine, but it's just an online platform. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm signed up for the emails and, and it's just like a digital platform now, yeah. you know. Do you do any of that kind of more traditional advertising? Um, the advertisement that we do today is mostly on social media. So mm-hmm. we do Google um, ads, um, we do Instagram, Meta, which is Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. and then TikTok and Pinterest ads. And those work, you know, if you target the right audience and if you put the right money behind it, it does bring a return, you know, mm-hmm. at five times your investment. Wow. At least, yeah. But those sorts of ads don't begin to compare to what happens when someone with a following goes online and uses one of your brushes. Yes. That, depending, um, I mean... That's such a a complex question, you know, because sometimes your products will go viral on TikTok on its own. Mm -hmm. No, you put no money behind it. People just actually like it and they go viral. We've had a few products that happening, uh, lip oils or the under eye corrector, you know, that for us was organic Mm -hmm. and it works. You see the, the increasing sales from the organic use. Sometimes you choose a partnership. So when we do product launch, we do have a group that we select for that specific launch to do the product demonstration. It's a paid partnership. You know, sometimes it's uh, you you pay for the entire content, or sometimes it's just a placement into a um, a demonstration that they're doing for several products. Finding the right partner is critical. You know, so it it it's not only if if your brand or your audience is not really connected to that specific influencer, it almost goes nowhere. Hmm. It can go very wrong, you mm-hmm. know. And for us, we found that um, we've been very like, I mean, I have a great team that find the best partners for us mm-hmm. that connect very well with our audience. A lot of times are people that organically talked about Sigma Beauty and we saw an increasing sales, then we decide that's a good partner for us, mm-hmm. you know. How how good can it get? Like, do you ever, I mean, is it, I mean, is it like suddenly a million brushes sell or you see some crazy spike in numbers and you go find out who talked about it? Yes. Do you have examples <laughs> like that? Does anything um, stand out? I have one example. Um, a few years ago, we had a product that was called Lip Switch. Mm-hmm. And it was a set, it was a, four different uh, lip glosses that had holographic finish to it. And I don't know if you remember a few years ago when the holographic craze, yes. you know, unicorn and yes, everything yes. was holographic makeup. And we were just lucky that we had that product in-house, you know. And when that trend came up, it went viral worldwide. It was insane. And we sold out in like a day. It was hmm. crazy. <laughs> It, it's got to be so challenging to stay ahead of the trends, especially with the speed at which social media is coming at us. Yes. How do you know, especially as someone who's still, I feel like you still sort of think of yourself as an outsider, even <laughs> yes, though you're yes. very much an insider now. Yes, I do. How do you stay ahead? How do you know what's next? We haven't even talked about the cleaning products yet and what a big <laughs> thing that was. How do you figure yeah. out what to make next? So my two secrets are, one, I don't 
lock myself on doing what what everybody's doing. You know, a lot of the products that we do are products that I want to have. <laughs> it's very selfish. You know? uh-huh. Things that I feel I need, I would like to have that. I want this to work this way. So uh, the bulk of the development I do is based on my own needs or perception of what's needed, mm-hmm. you know. And then uh, I can't survive only with that. I, I need to know where the industry is going. And uh, I watch YouTube all day. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. So, Who are your favorites today? Um, I, I have so many. <laughs> but what I actually do, I go on YouTube and I go in the search bar and I put Sigma Beauty and I watch any content that comes up, any. And I, uh, today I do that on TikTok and I do that on basically YouTube and TikTok are my two, like, um, finger on the pulse of what's happening, you know? Uh-huh. And I want to hear clients. So it's not even a, I'm listening to a big influencer. I'm, I'm listening to what clients are saying and what they want, what they hate. There's a lot of videos that are uh, declutter videos. I love watching declutter really? videos. <laughs> yeah, because I want to know, you know, especially influencers as they receive so many press and so many makeup what do they keep, you know? Mm. And as they decide what they're not going to keep, they explain why. And to me, that's gold information, mm. you know? Hmm. So, well, how does that make you think as a company that, I mean, you make money when people buy your products and you have to keep coming out with new products. Yes. How do you reconcile that? We were just having a meeting this week at headquarters and I was just saying, isn't it insane that we come up with a new product every month, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we have to be ahead like two, three years on our launch calendar, it's, it's tiring and exhausting, but it's a need, you know, uh, it's important. And uh, for, for us to come up with so many products, because we do, we do like a launch every month. You have how basically. many products in the collection? Oh, over 240. Okay, and that's ones. brushes, makeup, and then cleaning um, products, yep, which yep. we'll talk about. So... Um, the, the process of creating these products is, is really, as I said, uh, the needs that I have and, and watching uh, what people want or don't want or what they wish was different and just coming up with ideas to fulfill that, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the most interesting things and information that I get from watching every, everyone on YouTube, it doesn't matter how many subscribers, it doesn't have if they are influencers or just a client sharing, you know. Mm-hmm their thoughts, um, you can clearly see trends. You can clearly see people dropping a specific type of product and preferring something else. Mm. Like right now for us is liquid lipsticks. Hmm. Liquid lipsticks are, they were all the rage in the Instagram makeup era, you know, yeah. which uh, was 2016, 17. You know, you wanted a makeup that wouldn't go anywhere. You wanted a liquid lipstick that would stay, you know. And today, makeup has transitioned to being, especially through the pandemic, not being only color and makeup, but being kind of skincare-ish, you mm. know? So people want those nourishing ingredients infused into the makeup so they can combine both. And the trend is so much softer than it was um, a few years ago. Makeup is more natural. People are more confident on their skins, you know? I think during the pandemic, people dropped the makeup for a while. Yeah. Was that scary for you? Especially with your background in infectious disease. <laughs> I know, I know. But, you know, um, interesting enough, the years of the pandemic was a year for, of growth for us. Really? Direct to customer online. Mm. Because since the stores all closed, all that business came into 
direct-to-customer online. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though people wouldn't use, I would give it to you, lip products because, you know, of they the mask. They were mask, yeah. But then they wore more eyeshadow. Yes. <laughs> so our eyeshadow collections did really, really well yeah. during the pandemic. And, and it wasn't a problem for us. We, we went through the pandemic fine. Mm-hmm. I was curious if you sold more of your cleaning products as people became more <laughs> aware of, you know, germs yeah. and disease. I think, you know, the uptick that I saw was really eye makeup hmm. during the pandemic. And I think because here's the only thing you could show, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cleaning, is, it's steady, you know. Yeah. The, the thing with cleaning is that people dread cleaning. <laughs> yes, but it's a very interesting point since they were like with the alcohol in the hands and everything. Right. We just became so much more aware, I think. Yes. Um, so w- at what point did you delve into, because cl- I remember when you're, and I've got one right here, when your cleaning <laughs> mat debuted and it was so yeah. different than anything else on the market. Yeah. This again came from you cleaning yeah. your Sigma brushes yes, and yes, needing yes. something better. Yes. <laughs> how, how, did, how did it happen? Take us so, through it. I created a brush, and this brush was actually the brush that exploded us on the internet, was the F80. was a very dense, flat-top kabuki to apply, apply foundation. Mm-hmm. And I created that brush because I wanted to apply it fast to go to the universe to work. You know? <laughs> so, and I was using Practicality. My yes. yes. Or I, I was using a stippling brush, and it wasn't working, so I created F80. So it was great, you know, full coverage, very smooth. But it was a very dense brush. So every time that I would wash it, I couldn't get it clean. So I went to YouTube and I said, how do people clean brushes? And they mix dish soap with olive oil. It was a mess. And it didn't <laughs> work, you know. And they said, oh, and you go on the palm of your hand and you rotate the brush. And it's so smooth, the palm mm-hmm. of your hand, that it, it just didn't clean it. You uh-huh. know? So with that... I had a face cleaning tool on my bathroom that had a, a silicone head with a texture. And I was washing my brush one day and I looked at it. I said, that's what I need. I need some texture, you know, to grab this dirt and out of my brush. Sure. So I tried that and it worked wonderful, you know. So I said, okay, that's a light bulb for me. I have to research silicone textures and come up with the best ones to clean face and eye brushes. Mm-hmm. So went to uh, online, got every single silicone texture you can think of, cut them out, put on a big tray, you know, and glue them and start timing how fast I could clean my brushes wow. on a big tray. And is Renee, your husband, watching this going, okay, yes. what, is the, what is the mad scientist up to now? Yes. So he passes through on the bathroom and he says, don't people clean their brushes using their hands? So why don't you transfer those textures into a glove? Mm. And, and then it's natural for them to clean how they do it, you know. Mm-hmm. But now you have like a bionic hand. You have like a lot of textures in it. And then that was the first a cleaning product we launched was the cleaning glove. What year was that? Oh, my God. I, I think 2011, maybe. Um, so so pretty quickly after brushes. Oh, yeah, okay. because pretty quickly after I got the F80, I couldn't clean it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I already started developing the cleaning methods for it. So from there, the process of product development is so interesting, and I, I love to tell it because... People understand how much thought goes into it. So I made a glove, and I'm right-handed, so I did it for my hand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So I launched it and the left-handed people were like, it doesn't work for us. <laughs> so quickly, Hene said, oh, don't worry about it. Just put another thumb on the other side. So it's like this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you, is that how yes. it is? So we have a two-thumb glove. A two-thumbed glove. <laughs> yeah, it looks so funny, but that is the beauty of it because people get so interested in it, yeah. you know. So we launched the two-thumb glove, and then the two-thumb glove was a little big for a few people that had the small, smaller hand. So they would pick up the glove and put it on the sink and wash the textures on the glove on the sink. I looked at that, and then I said, well, I can just develop a mat that you suck, you know, mm-hmm. just suction cup into the sink, and then people can wash like they're doing right now with the glove. Mm-hmm. So that's the product you're holding right there. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, then we developed another um, express glove that was a smaller one. Then we developed a soap that had silicone textures coming through it. Mm-hmm. So you, it was a two-in-one. You would just suction cup this soap with the texture on your sink and then you had both things in one container so it works really well amazing amazing and it's so grassroots you just go and talk to your people (laughs) yes and figure it out either (laughs) it's happening in your bathroom yeah or you find it on youtube yep why don't more companies understand that they go to such lengths to put these focus groups together and they're like they're not connecting with the real people exactly yeah, we're lucky that both Rene and I, we can move forward with this project so fast. He's an engineer, too, so he has in his office today two 3D printers. So anything we come up with, he can quickly print, you mm-hmm. know, and we can look at it and we can modify. And But, yes, I always thought it was so interesting. As you go through the traditional marketing or product development processes, you know, you're like, we need a focus group. We need opinion from here. We need testing mm-hmm. from there. And I am the complete opposite of that. I actually only show products to everyone at the headquarters when they're ready. Really? <laughs> yes. Really? You're yeah. that confident that what yes. you want is what everybody else wants. I don't want to sound like uh, the them owning the truth or anything like that, you know. But when I have a vision or really has a vision too, we want to see through, you know. And uh, yes, when I when we launch something, I've tested it extensively, and I'm absolutely sure it's gonna work. And I want to see it through. You mm-hmm. know, several times we can come back and adjust or modify. And once everybody has access to it and start using, either in the company or outside, feedback will come in, and we will adjust and modify yeah. the product. You might add a second thumb. Yes, but. Uh, <laughs> But we've been not, I won't say lucky, because we put a lot of work uh, on the development, you know. And when we launch, it, it's it's gold. So what's your <laughs> advice to other people who have a product in their head and their, you know, because normally you want to make sure that it isn't just you, that other, that other people are going to like it yes. too. What's your advice on how to go about it? So um, I actually, I gave a, a TED talk in, in Boston one time, and it was explaining this concept Mm -hmm. that we humans are so alike that the chances that you're going to develop something that's going to be useful for everybody else are pretty huge, Hmm. you know? So we, we think alike so much and it's not only on makeup or, or, and it's like on anything. 
when I was at the university, countless times, you know, you are in a research lab and you're developing something, you're like secretive about it, you know, you're like, yes, I'm in the brink of something. You go to publish and someone else published like two days earlier. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's the exact same thought process. So I think at some point, most of us will get to the same conclusion. It's just a matter of who's going to get to that conclusion faster. Hmm. And um, it's just because behavior is so predictable. It is. So my advice during that talk that I gave and, and right now is trust your guts, you know, trust your guts, because if you have a need, you get, there's billions of people in the world. So there is a, a section of the, that population that will identify with exactly what you felt was a need mm-hmm. and what will, you know, feel that that's the best solution that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Today. Sigma products are sold in how many countries? Over 70. 70 countries. In in the U.S., you are in every major department store, yes. it seems, right? Yep. You're... We entered Target a year now. We're going to year anniversary at Target. But does all of that even compare to online? Or is online still the biggest driver? So... For us, that we are an online company, we don't have a physical store. Yes, online is major for us. But today, our business sections between like 50-50, like direct-to-customer and retailers. Mm -hmm. And within our retailers, it's so interesting because each of them have their own world, you know. So even though some department stores have an online presence, they still have such a, a wonderful on, in-store experience yeah. that the clients, uh, you know, 80% of their sales is um, in-store. I think the beauty industry was so disrupted mm-hmm. by COVID because yeah. it was so hands-on and so much of it is going to a department store, sitting in a chair, having an expert tell you what yes, you need, and then you yes, buy yes. all those products. And that stopped for a time. I mm-hmm. think it's coming back. But are you seeing that that market is forever changed or is it rebounding? It's rebounding, yes. So, I mean, there is a strength in both ways, you know. Uh, but the reality is we still see a lot of the, the effects of the pandemic at malls or closing stores, you know. Um, it isn't the same thing that it used to be, but you still have very strong players in the brick and mortar uh, business that mm-hmm. are still thriving. Hmm. And within your own product line, is it is the vast majority of sales, is it brushes or is it the cleaning products? Is it the makeup? What's yes. the breakdown? So we started 100% as a brush company. You know, from the brushes, we developed uh, a series of cleaning products that generated 70 patents for us. Mm. Yes, that was a lot. We have like a stack of patents that's pretty high. And uh, so when, when that happened, uh, maybe a brush care went into 20% of our business. So today, makeup is the fastest growing section of our business. Hmm. Uh, about three and a half years ago, I started to develop all the makeup products myself. Really? <laughs> yes. And, uh, and that has been growing steadily for us and taking more and more of the percentage of brushes and, and brush care. I would think that would be a harder sell. You've got more competition in oh, the makeup absolutely. category. Yes. So why are people buying Sigma makeup? Because, um, one, I'm the pickiest person. <laughs> 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 well, well, I, when I launch, I'm, I trust that it, it's the best it could be, you know. And um, we do a lot of interesting color collections. So we always have like a spring collection, a fall collection, a holiday collection. 
We've been so lucky to be able to partner with Disney, for example, for the past two years and a few years forward. For um, We did Cinderella. We did Alice in the Wonderland. Um, How did that come about? So uh, that was um, uh, an agreement that our uh, business development group made with Disney. And uh, Are you a big Disney fan? I am. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not like crazy. I go to Disney World every, you know, year and <laughs> like that. But I think that Disney had such an impact on me growing up mm-hmm. and seeing the the classics, right? So Cinderella. I, I just do the ones that uh, affect me. <laughs> Again, I'm so biased. But, uh, so sin- when when this opportunity came to be, and they said, "Oh, which character do you want to do?" I said, "Cinderella. Let's start with Cinderella." Because, you know, the princess, the dress, the magic and everything. And uh, I have goosebumps just talking about it. (laughs) So I said, I want to do Cinderella, but I want to do a grown-up Cinderella. I want to do a mature Cinderella. Um, You know, I want to use it. I want to have it on my makeup table and feel great about it. Hmm. And that was very different for Disney, you know. So my Cinderella take was... I went to the Versailles one time and I took a picture of a chair mm-hmm. and it was a blue chair with some gold swirls, you know, and some gold details. And I had a picture of that chair. And when we were designing Cinderella, I asked my designer, I want this pattern to be the main pattern on the collection, you know. Mm. So from there, we added a lot of gold and so, and then we put the characters. I watched the movie. Every time I develop a, a Disney collection, I watch the movie, I screenshot scenes, then I pick up a Pantone book and match the main, mm-hmm. most memorable moments into a color. And then I choose finishes. It's going to be matte or shimmer, you know, or glitter. And that's how the, the collection happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> so, um, okay, I, I think we, we got so excited about the Disney makeup that I <laughs> stopped you from you were answering. So yes. makeup is the fastest growing. Yes. But does it even compare to, to brushes? Are brushes still your biggest category? Brushes are safe, stable product. You know, that's like once it's like you, you develop it and it's there forever. You can use that brush for years. It will function well and be useful for years, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. There's no change or trends mm. uh, affecting brushes or brush care. Those but are, you're still coming out with new brushes, Absolutely, right? because we want to keep our DNA, right? Sure. Uh, they are needs. Got it. Makeup are wants, you mm. know, and there is a lot of change that goes into it. Now you ask, how do you survive on such a saturated market? Because it is. It's incredibly saturated, you know? Yeah. You have to be on top of uh, the wants for the clients. So as I mentioned, the clients went from just having fun with color to wanting some uh, nutrients or clean ingredients involved into the makeup. And mm-hmm. that's where we are trying to be in the forefront of clean beauty, you know, um, eliminating harsh uh, ingredients or ingredients that, that are not damned safe for use uh, being on top of European regulations and having all of our makeup certified in Europe so it's tested and the best it can be. Hmm. That's how you differentiate yourself, you know, because everything that we develop today, I try to include good-for-you ingredients that are good for your skin. And I'm noticing that as I age, I've become allergic to so many things. Hmm. It's 
crazy, you know. So I want our products to be the cleanest they can be, the least ingredients we need, you know, and the best ingredients for your skin. So uh, a few things, you know, I developed this lip oil, for example, and the percentage of jojoba oil on that product is real and you can feel it, you mm-hmm. know. So when you put this lip oil on, I mean, it stays hours. It nourishes. I cannot sleep without it. You know? <laughs> so it, it, they work. They're good for you. Uh, you can read on the ingredients that they are real, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how you differentiate yourself, you know. Do you, at, at your headquarters in Mendota Heights, I mean, first of all, you must have a team of product development people. It's not just you, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, do, you, do you have a laboratory where you're playing with colors and ingredients? How, yes. how does the process work? Do you have a list right now of like, I need to develop these products or is it all sort of what comes to you? No, you know, we, we work so far in advance that right now we are working on 2026 launch wow. calendar. Wow. So we already know what we're going to launch for the next three years. Do you want to reveal anything right here or do we have oh, to wait to find out? <laughs> I mean, I can give you hints. You know, I personally um, have a, this attraction for cream products and just this dewy complexion, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I want my skin to be hydrated. So there's a lot of cream products coming up, our liquid products. We are developing a skincare line that wow. it's coming up. Um, Next year, okay. uh, we are finishing the um, certification, but I have all the formulations defined, the packaging is ready, you know. Mm-hmm. We're finishing a certification in Europe right now. But how, how, do you, how do you focus? How do you decide? <laughs> you know, I mean, how do, do you, you personally and then as a company, like, how do you approach product development? Um, I, I have to focus on our own brand while still catering to the trends and and what people want, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, it's building blocks. So I I need to make sure that we are a one-stop brand for makeup and you can do your entire makeup with our products. And that's how we build our collections, you know. So right now, for example, I am finalizing developing tinted moisturizers, concealers, things that we we, with the, these two products, we, we kind of close the entire face. We have everything else. We have brows, lashes, eyeshadows, blushes. We have several formulas of blushes, you know. We have several lip, lip products. So we'll come up with a new mascara uh, next year that just can be removed with water only, hmm. um, which is great. So it, it, it's both sides of things. You know, one is building my brand. And uh, the building blocks for for us to have one gondola in a store where people can find everything they need. I would think Estee Lauder would want to buy you in a heartbeat. <laughs> are you for sale? Would you? <laughs> or are you having too much fun? No, we're having too much fun. We have a vision. We have a plan. We have a lot of growth coming up. You know, yeah. uh, we have a lot of expansion that we want to do. Like I said, Renee just came back from Dubai and India, mm. and we are having great opportunities for growth there. And as Renee always say, we don't want to be just sitting at home. Really? Yes. (laughs) He's a serious entrepreneur. I mean, his rush comes from the business development. Yeah. What about you? Are you having fun? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because I, I am on the side, I'm an artist, so I do a lot of, I do ceramics, pottery, I do painting of acrylic, you know, mm-hmm. 
I do acrylic, acrylic paintings. I do crystals on, on clothing. I do everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I love art. And to me, all these products, especially when I come coming up with a collection, like a makeup palette, it's a work of art, you know. So it's a hobby in a way for me. Mm-hmm. So a hobby and having, a business. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you had known where your career was headed, mm-hmm. when you think back to the years of school and working yeah. on the dissertation and in the labs, would you have done it all or would you have just fast forwarded to being a business person? No, I would absolutely done everything I did. You know, I think that my training um, in everything, uh, but very specifically on the PhD at the University of Minnesota is critical, you know. You learn so much of critical thinking, trend analysis, you know, research, all of that I use today on this business. It could be used on any business, really. Hmm. Wow. So, so what's your advice? I feel like today, more than ever, you know, so many people have dreams and aspirations of exactly what you're doing, of coming up with a product and turning it into a big business yes. empire. Yes. So um, the way we did it was... We did it on our own. We did it within our own money and resources, you know, and we took our time and developed. Today, it's so much easier to do it than when we did it because if you uh, have an idea, you, put, you know, get a little bit of money put together, you do your first little product, you open an Instagram, you take your own pictures with your iPhone, yeah. and you have a good page, and if you want to go there, because I'm not the one to go in front of millions of people talk, you know. You, you get online and you do your TikToks and you do your, you know, reels on Instagram and you talk about the product, explain. One thing that's interesting about today's business world on, I would say, any brand, but very true for uh, cosmetics, is that that brand loyalty is no longer that strong, mm. you know. So there, there is a chance for anyone. Anyone that comes up with something great has a chance to succeed. And I see so many indie brands rising and shining, you know, today. It's like every day there's a new brand. And every day there's people willing to try it, you mm-hmm. know. And with the exposure that you get with these uh, platforms, very specifically TikTok now that's still very organic and uh, everyone can shine there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the chances are much better than when I started, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that the the biggest misconception that everyone has in terms of starting a business is that you need millions of dollars and you need investors and you need people that know marketing and you need all this crazy stop, you know. No, just relax. Yeah. <laughs> Come up with your product. It doesn't need to be 10 products. Come up with one product, you know, and fine-tune it to the way you feel it's the best and be passionate about it and show your passion online. You will connect with the audience, you know. I've said so many times as we research ads or no, as, you know, we work with the marketing agents to do our ads on Instagram. And I keep giving them examples and saying, I have bought so much crap on Instagram <laughs> from ads of companies that I don't know the name. Really? I don't even know where they, they're located, you know. Because <laughs> if they come and show what it does and I see that it works, yeah. I buy it. 
Yeah. I don't even know where it's coming from. Sometimes it takes months to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's great advice and, and good perspectives. I think there is this tendency today to say, oh, I got to go raise yes, money and I got to yes. be big and flashy and have a whole collection. And, but, and, and I don't want to wanna, do um, tell that whoever does that, because a lot of people do that and are very successful. That's not the wrong path, but it's definitely not the, the easiest one. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Maybe you are a great salesperson and you go and sell your idea and you have, and that goes, you know, if you can co-create with uh, partners, that excellent. Mm-hmm. But don't be discouraged if you don't have that or if you don't know how to go about it. Start on your own. Trust yourself. You know, mm-hmm. I always tell Lucas, my son, I said, Lucas, you see something, someone doing something, you can do it too, you know, mm-hmm. just give it a try. You can do it too. You yeah. can be a veterinarian. <laughs> you can be an expert in infectious disease <laughs> and then start the, one of the most successful makeup companies. It's an amazing story. So yesterday I was having a meeting with my product development team, actually, and we were like going back and forth with the launch calendar. You know, I'm like, Oh, let's do the tube of this product like this. No, let's like the other. And I keep like changing my mind. And then I told them, I apologize. I switched my mind so many times. But I give myself a break because at the end of the day, I'm a vet. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm doing all this with no training. That's right. That's amazing. So just be easy on yourself and allow yourself to learn, you know, it's fine. Yeah. Congratulations on all the success. It's been so, so fun to follow you and to see where you are now. It's really, really amazing. So congratulations. I'm going to go try my uh, Cinderella makeup. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Well, Sigma Beauty, if you're not familiar and you haven't been on the website, you can also find it in department stores everywhere across America and beyond. Dillard's, Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, and on and on. This brand is truly omnipresent at this point. Well, for some more perspective on this amazing story of entrepreneurship, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business, where Gino Giovanelli is a marketing professor But after hearing what Simone did, Gino, I'm wondering, do you want to start a a men's grooming line? Well, you know, you'd think based on their success, you you could, it basically shows that you can do anything. You don't have to have been in an industry forever and know a ton about the players and the products and services. I, uh, yeah, they basically taught us that anybody can do anything with, with enough hard work and passion. It's, it's a great story. And, but I mean, practically speaking, are they the exception, or is this a rule of entrepreneurship, being an outsider? I think it's probably the exception because it's, it's counterintuitive. I mean, the, the thought that if you come into an industry without any experience in it, without knowing any of the products or the services or the players or what the de facto standards are, actually, you have an advantage in the sense that you, you're not going to put yourself in a box. Mm-hmm. You have no constraints. I liked how she talked about being truly solution oriented, right. where, where, where she thought about like, what, what, what do people need? Let's start with that. As opposed to, if you've been in the industry a lot of times, you're, you're so focused on the competition. You're trying to figure out, think like, hey, what are they doing that we're not doing? And she's saying, I'm not even going to look at what they're doing. I'm looking at what needs to be done to solve the problem in the marketplace. So right. I, I kind of like the, the free and freeing of the shackles. Yeah, absolutely. You're not chasing the big dog. You're just, you're coming up with your own, your own thing um, without any pretense. 
it's got to be invigorating and it's got to be just so satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. When you can come in from nowhere and just rock the industry like they did. Well, and speaking of coming in from nowhere, that's sort of the whole premise of influencer marketing. And they were so early to it. That's another part of this story that really fascinates me, the Mm -hmm. way they leveraged these YouTubers at a time before that was really even thought of as a profession. What do you, as as a guru of marketing and digital media, think of that approach? Well, I I love it, especially their timing in it, because I think influencer marketing in the early days was was a pure play. It was people out there that had a had a following that would go out and promote products that they truly believed in. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, it's so authentic. It's you know, they're not getting anything for it kind of thing. Uh, And I think at that time, influencer marketing was was just that it was just good people telling good people about great products kind of thing without any of this paid placement and you know i'm just saying this because i'm getting a lot of money to do that right i think i think nowadays influencer marketing kind of gets a bad rap because it's like are do they really support those products or are they just getting a big old fat check for it and so i think their timing in it was crucial because these influencers needed products to promote and these product companies needed influencers to promote that very product so it it to me was was a beautiful handshake um, without without a whole lot of promotional advertising kind of negative kind of perceptions about it. Right. Unfortunately, you, you can't go back to those innocent days. If Simone sent brushes to an influencer today, they would send yeah. her their rate card. Exactly. So, exactly. so what advice would you give brands that are just starting out now? Wow. Uh, great question. I think, gosh, I think I would try to, I, I, I would try to find some of those influencers that may not have the reach that the big dogs have, mm. but also don't have all that the strings attached either. I mean, I, I have to believe there's a tier of influencers that are still going out there with an authentic message. And, and I would still try to find them rather than trying to hitch my wagon to the, to the biggest name in the industry that, that does have some, maybe some uh, baggage associated with it, if you will. Um, right. The other thing that's, that I found really interesting about how they used influencers was not just to make those influencers aware of their products to help promote those products, but, but to get feedback from those influencers. So let's say there's an influencer that doesn't love your product mm-hmm. instead of just going like, Oh, they're, they're not a friend. They're, you know, screw them, whatever. It's like, they're saying like, Hey, tell us how we make our product better. Cause, cause you, you know, we, we like, we like you when you promote us and we like the insights we get from you when you don't. They're not right. The ones that don't promote you aren't the enemy, I guess is the point. I thought that was very mature. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also reassuring to consumers when we use the social channels that we now have access to, yeah. to, to make a, a, a constructive criticism. Let's hope it's constructive yeah. about a product. And if you wonder if the company's listening, there you go. The CEO is reading right. every comment Absolutely. and factoring Absolutely. that into the next product. Absolutely. Then, then, it's, then it comes back to, again, to authenticity based influencer models. I mean, when I, when I used to work at Radisson, we had all these things where customers could say, people could say things about our hotels. And, and it was like, when they wouldn't say something great, you'd be like, hey, we got to pull that down. We got to hide that. That's, that's bad press for us. I'm like, no, because we got to show it. If it truly happened, it, you have to show it because then you have credibility both, you know, on both sides of the coin rather than just being just a, a big megaphone for, for good things. 
Right, right. It's kind of an uplifting story. Lot, lots to be encouraged about. It's it's totally feel good. It's American dream kind of stuff. It's it's. Uh, I just listened to it uh, over the weekend. I was just feeling so good about these two that just <laughs> came out of nowhere and just hit it out of the park. And that, that we yes. can still do that in this day and age is just a beautiful thing. It is indeed. Well, beauty from the inside. Gino Giovanelli, thank you as always for your perspective. And thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you like what you heard and you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. You'll find all our episodes and lots of insights from professors at the Opus College of Business at St. Thomas. Thanks so much for listening to By All Means. By all means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means.